Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then discuss it. This is page 393, chapter 58, Courting. The mayor had not called on me for two days. I was trapped in my rooms and near mad with boredom and irritation. Worst was the fact that I didn't know why the mayor wasn't calling on me. Was he busy? Had I offended him? I thought of sending him a card along with the gold ring Braden had given me, but if Alvaron were testing my patience, that could be a grave mistake. But I was impatient. I had come here to gain a patron, or at least some assistance in my pursuit of the emir. So far, all I had to show for my time in the mayor's service was a profoundly flattened ass. If it hadn't been for Braden, I swear I would have gone frothing mad. Worse, my loot and Denna's lovely case were only two days away from becoming someone else's property. I had hoped by this point to have gained enough of the mayor's favor that I could ask him for the money I needed to get it out of pawn. I'd wanted him to be indebted to me, not the other way around. Once you owe something to a member of the nobility, it is notoriously difficult to work your way free of their debt. But, if Alvaron's lack of summons was any indication, I seemed to be far from his good graces. I racked my memory, trying to think of what I might have said during our last conversation that could have offended him. I'd pulled a card from the drawer and was trying to think of a politic way of asking the mayor for money when a knock came at the door. Thinking it was my lunch come early, I called for the boy to leave it on the table. There was a significant pause that roused me from my reverie. I hurried to the door and was startled to see the mayor's manservant, Stapes, standing outside. Alvarin's summons had always been delivered by runner before. The mayor would like to see you, he said. I noticed the manservant ended the page i'm nick i'm jordana i'm jeremy this is the vintage equivalent of being left on red yeah hondo p and you know what quoth is like many of us who are small anxious beings who have been left on red uh he's way overthinking it like oh my god when he first arrived at court the mayor let him stew in his own juices for three or four days this is not that long he doesn't, like, it doesn't actually mean anything. The mayor hasn't been thinking about Quoth at all. The mayor has been busy with his own bullshit, which we will get to in the future. Exactly. And as anybody who has been nervous about being left on red needs to learn, it's not about you. In this case, the mayor is not responding because he's been sick. Sorry, are yep. you saying left unread or left on red? Left on red. As in someone has received your text message and they have read it but they have not responded to you. So you can see that they that they read the message, but they're not replying. I see. That's never happened to you in your life? It probably has, but not enough times for me to freak out about Jordana it. Jordana has never been checking with anyone who needed, who, who had left her on red, right? Jordana... Uh, well, like, no. So was... I have the thing where, like, when people do the dot, dot, dots... So there, you know, they're writing, and then they stop writing, and then you know they're writing, and then they stop writing, and then you know they're writing, and then they stop writing, and then they stop writing, and they don't send something back. That's the worst. But if someone like sees it but doesn't respond, it doesn't really bother me that much. I feel like being left on red, in particular, is like nowadays anyway, is kind of a Tinder thing or like a dating thing where you send a, a message that's full of import or, or you know something kind of needy or something. Uh, and then you start to think, oh my god, what did I say? I scared them off. That was the filthiest text I could possibly have sent at 3am. Oh, I know why being left on red doesn't bother me. I figured it out. Because I'm naturally incredibly boo? needy, so I'll just be like, hey, why didn't you respond? <laughs> I- 
<laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Having uh, having that kind of shamelessness definitely helps. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that is the solution. Don't well, overthink it. Just get your way. Just, just clearly communicate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, people love that. That's that's a very attractive quality. Oh, yes, um, I know. <laughs> but also, like, if I was Quoth, like, I am anxious just sitting here thinking about the fact that Quoth's loot is still in Hawk and has been for, like, almost seven days. Like, he... I, I'm I'm sitting here going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, he's gonna lose lose his loot in his case. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Like I've been low key anxious about that the entire time, and every time Quoth mentions it, it makes it worse for me. Which is good writing on Rothfuss's part. We should feel that ticking clock because Quoth certainly does. I'd be interested, and I don't want to do this, so someone else do it. I'd be interested in getting uh, a, a sense of how often uh, the intervals between Rothfuss reminding us of this ticking clock are. And I almost wonder if it's impactful, if it is at a relatively constant rate. Mm. Mm. I mean, it feels constant, but I'm not sure that it is. Yeah. I don't know if this works in prose, but I know in movies when there's a ticking clock, they will often sort of have a beat or even the sound of a clock, or they'll show you, they'll sort of time the cuts in a certain way so that it feels like there's a rhythm. And then they'll speed that rhythm up as things get more urgent sometimes. Yeah, or if you go deeper, then it will actually slow the rhythm down and extend it so that it starts going. Wah. Oh, this is a this is an Inception joke. Yes, Rodana. Very good. I'm pleased with myself. It's been a while will, since I've seen that movie. Give me some credit. I will have uh, one of our interns deliver you a cookie on a little silver plate. Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, GIF of Captain America subtitle. I understood that reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are, are you saying that I'm like Captain America? Yes, that's right. No, no, you're so, a, you're if, a six foot tall ripped dude from the forties. I am. I'm so glad you finally recognized me. <laughs> I'm doing. I'm doing the vocal version of sending a gif in the chat. Okay. Mm-hmm. It translates super well. Uh, well, almost all anything? my conversations have been remote over the last year. You know, no, no, like I wasn't being—I wasn't being facetious. I knew exactly the gift you were—you were, you were going to send. <laughs> and the only reason I didn't is because I am not extremely online. Mm. So, as usual, Jordana is to blame. Thanks. I like profoundly flattened ass. It's a good joke. Makes me laugh. I mean, if yeah, if I, any of us can, uh, I, I feel like we can all relate at this point to a profoundly mm, flattened. Yeah, ass. big time. <laughs> yeah, totally. We have another letter today. Mailbag. Mm-hmm. This letter is from Taylor, who writes on deepening the black hole. Sounds like my Friday night. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't want to know. Nick, I apologize for leaving you out of the greeting in my constable's letter. My response letter was to an episode you were absent from, and I didn't think about the time delay. You are absolutely integral, valued, and missed when missing. There's more. I'm not. This wasn't just a letter telling me how great I am, but we can bask in that for a moment. Uh, and we will. Uh, yes. yes. And now back to the letter. I love how sensitive and willingly articulate y'all are about class and race when there's an apt opportunity for it. I really feel like this fussy and medium gives great chances for segueing into teasing out these dynamics. Good form, and thank you. It's kind of cool how we are in discussion about race, British culture, feudalism, right before the cancel campaign starts against the monarchy. 
Yeah, that is a weird little synchronicity, isn't it? I am very excited for potentially there not being a governor general, which is like pretty great. Yeah, that's the conversation that's happening in Canada right now. I, it's a monarchy-based conversation. Yeah, no, no, no. I like. I'm not saying that it's not like it's. I'm just explaining to people who don't know that Canada has a governor general who is the like physical stand-in for the Queen of England and represents Her Majesty uh, in like making sure that we pass laws and whatever. I see. But, Thank you. You know, because some people don't know that because not every country is a is a commonwealth. But like, I should not have assumed. But also, like, it's one thing, I think, if you, like, live in the UK and, like, that's where the royal family live and there's, like, centuries of tradition about them. Like, I can see there, and, like, they're there. They're, like, doing stuff all the time. I can see there being, like, some residual attachment to that tradition, even if I personally, like, don't really care. Actually, that's not true. I, I have a weird affection for the trappings of aristocracy. But Canada, like... Why the f- why the hell do people in Canada get all in high dudgeon about the idea that we might stop having Queen Elizabeth on our money? She's visited like she's only been in the country like twice, maybe three times, like since she's been alive. Like who cares? They have nothing to do with us. Like they, the role they serve in our government is purely ceremonial. I think it's like a celebrity thing because the people I who I know who are like interested in the monarchy almost treat all of them like celebrities. And I think it's sort of that they don't want the disconnect from the celebrity. I think there's a lot of reasons. It's very complicated. I have a cousin who's very into the monarchy and she understands, like she's very articulate about it and kind of understands that it's silly. But uh, like you said, Jeremy, she has an affection for it. And for her, it's because her grandmother was the daughter of uh, gentry who had lost everything in her relationship to her and her and her mother. So her grandmothers and her great, my cousin's grandmother and great grandmother, their relationship to the monarchy was there. That was their way of sort of staying attached to the, not just the traditions, but their history and their place, their class. Like you often talk, Jeremy, about the invested uh, you have better turn of phrase for it than I do, but like the invested power that comes with simply being a member of uh, of an aristocratic class. And this was their way of sort of clinging to it and having a relationship to it, despite the fact that at the, the time my grandma, my cousin's grandmother was alive, they had no actual power um, and they were living in Canada. So they were very far divorced from it. And then for other people, I think it's, it's a question about how they were raised and their relationship to... Um, hierarchy uh it's like a hallmark of conservatism is the idea that it is virtuous to respect established hierarchies so i'm not saying that it's like necessarily a conservative thing to believe in the monarchy just that some people have a different relationship to established hierarchies and believe it to be an act of virtue to follow them and that it is not only unvirtuous, but actively harmful to attempt to buck uh, hierarchies as they are established. I don't agree with that. I don't believe it. I don't agree with it. And I think that's actually a very harmful attitude, but you know, and this is bumping into a much bigger discussion, but starting to understand people who have diametrically opposed political beliefs to you 
starts with understanding what they believe is is virtuous. And I use the word virtue because good and bad are like not really useful terms because like I think a lot of what those people believe are bad um, and they don't. But virtue, I think there's like once you start talking about, well, it is virtuous to behave in this way, you can start to kind of understand without intrinsically imbuing those behaviors with positivity or negativity. Um, anyway, that was a long winded way of getting to the idea that uh, hierarchy and tradition are very important to some people, largely because they are invested with with virtue and it can be very difficult to step out and it can be like harmful and frightening to be asked to step outside of uh, hierarchy and tradition. All right. Yeah. It's complicated. I understand. It's all not that. as simple as let's take her off our money, you know, for some people. And it, like, I think this is the sort of thing that you and I, Jeremy and, and Jordana, like probably can't begin to understand. Cause to us, I think we can all agree that we think it's all kind of silly and having a governor general is kind of a quaint tradition that we sort of chuckle at, but it doesn't really affect us. So we don't feel too strongly about it. I mean, except that I feel things if, that like the governor general's actively harmful to the betterment of our society, but that's a long speech. So I'm not going to go there right now. I think I'm probably less anti-monarchy than you are, because I think it would be cool to have a monarch who was like good, like who like rode into battle in armor and hacked off the heads of our enemies. That would be good. But kings <laughs> haven't been cool like that for like 500 years. It's not if they ever back, were. Jeremy. I hate to break it to you. I yeah, I'm a traditionalist. Yeah. I want to return to a tradition of uh, the people who pay to do the fighting. The people who have a political interest in doing the fighting have to go out in front of everybody on a horse and lead the charge themselves. Yeah, no, that I agree with. No argument there. The problem with having a good monarch is that you won't forever. The next guy who's going to be the monarch isn't guaranteed to be as good. That is, I'm not that saying is, our system is much better. Our system is, is really better. <laughs> that is the only thing that is wrong with monarchy. I agree. Is that you can't guarantee that the next guy will be as good as the last guy. And that if you look at the history, it tends to be the case that there's like one good guy who sets up a dynasty and then his descendants proceed to screw it up. Mm-hmm. Yes. The only actual solution is individual micro fiefdoms. Yeah, which are which are all uh, stored securely on the blockchain. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jeremy, uh, we are now looking for investors in Fife Coin. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> the they users will, of the app are called serfs. <laughs> they will yeah, pay oh, a non fungible <laughs> tax to us, the owners of the app, and in return, we will we will protect them from. Other apps that are bad. Yes, we will protect their personal data. <laughs> That's right. Uh, listeners, you can pledge fealty to our fife on tomorrow's page. Uh, <laughs> the wind. 